the title to the sermon is called The Decision. The Decision. Decisions, decisions, decisions. There is no escaping them. Every day you face them, and in fact, you can't live life and do life without decisions. A trail of, de- a trail of decisions we leave behind our life, like a coattail. Decisions you made, decisions made by others. Some of the decisions on the trail are good decisions, and some of them are bad decisions. And right now, you made a decision to come to the church this morning. You, you are making a decision of whether or not you're going to listen to the sermon. So, or you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> decisions, decisions, decisions are always before us. And our decisions, they impact us. The decisions you make, even the decisions made by others, do impact your life. And the question I have is, how do you respond to decisions that you disagree with? How do you respond to decisions that you disagree with? To your kids, when they make decisions you disagree with. To your spouse. To your family. To your parents, if you're a kid to your coworker, to your boss, to your pastor and your elders and your deacons? How do you respond when we make decisions that you personally disagree with? How do you? If we are completely honest with ourselves this morning, if we, if we can be honest for just a moment, then we will admit that we sometimes get angry when people make decisions that we disagree with, particularly when those decisions have an impact with my money with my time, my comforts, or my good name. When those decisions impact those things, we don't sit still. We get angry. And we can even get angry with God when some of his decisions he makes in your life start interfering with those things. You will get angry with him. Because, listen, he, he will make decisions in your life that you might not agree with. And no one knows that better other than Jonah. Jonah knows it quite well that the Lord sometimes makes decisions that we disagree with. And so if you have your Bible, open it to Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. When the Lord saw that the people of Nineveh had turned from their evil ways, he relented of the disaster that he said would come, come to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Yahweh, is this not what I said to you when I was in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Please pray with him for me. Lord, as we open up your word Pray that your spirit, Father, will fall down in this place. 
We don't just want to go through the motions of worship just to check off a box. Help us to know that, Lord, we are in your presence. We are here to, to receive a word from you, to worship you, to commune with you, to fellowship with your people. Holy Spirit, you know us. You know the real us. Not the us we show other people. You know the real us. And I pray that you would minister to that part of us today. The part that we hide from everybody else. I do pray for this in your Christ's name. Amen. On July the 18th, 2010, NBA superstar LeBron James had a TV special on ESPN called The Decision. The Decision. And if you watch that uh, special, then you know that he had a decision to make about which NBA team he was going to play for. 13 million people watched this show, this special, when he made his announcement. And he says, this fall, this is very tough, and this fall I'm going to take my talent to South Beach and join the Miami Heat. Now, some people were excited, but other people, man, they were mad. They were angry. I mean, they even burned his jerseys up in Cleveland. And they were angry, furious. And in Nineveh, a decision has been made by Yahweh. A decision. A decision that Jonah disagrees with. And his response to that decision is one of anger. He becomes an angry prophet, angry with the decision that the Lord has made. Angry with the decision that he makes in Nineveh. Now remember, the Lord restores Jonah, you see. Restores Jonah to his call. Rescues Jonah from the sea. And Jonah repents of his sin. And the Lord sends Jonah back to Nineveh again. And Jonah goes there. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the message Yahweh gave him. He says to them, yet 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's a message of judgment. Judgment for the people for their sins and their wickedness. Now the people receive the message now with no pushback. They don't stone him. They don't insult him. I mean, if you're a prophet, you're like, man, this is great. Because we know some prophets who, didn't, who received harsher treatment, like Jeremiah. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 5 of chapter 3 says, The people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. What happened? The word that, that, that he preached to them, it convicted their hearts. And they repented of their sins and turned to Yahweh. And the, and the Lord sees this. He, he sees this. He sees what they are doing. He sees that they are turning from their evil ways and, and turning to him. And he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. And he decides not to destroy the city. He's not going to bring judgment. But instead he brings grace. Mercy. Forgiveness. Chapter 10, as chapter 10 says, when God saw what the people did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them. And he did not bring disaster. He did not bring judgment. The Lord makes a decision of compassion in Nineveh. And Jonah is witnessing this. He's seeing it. 
He is seeing what every prophetic preacher wants to see. He is seeing fruit from his labor. Not just one fruit. I mean, the whole city is repenting. So, I mean, if you're a preacher and an evangelist, you're like, man, this is awesome. And, and, and even in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just one sinner. And then you have a mass confession of a whole city repenting of their sin. And what does Jonah do? What does Jonah do? Is he rejoicing with the angels? No. He's mad. He's unhappy. He's angry that the Lord shows compassion to these people. Verse 4, chapter 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Not just a little bit. Exceedingly. And he was angry. He was angry. And so in anger, he, he prays to Yahweh. An angry prayer. He tells Yahweh, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee the Tarshish. I knew that you are a, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. For three chapters, we were all in the dark as to why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. We, we didn't, why does he want to go? That, that was the question. Why did he actually flee to go to Tarshish? Now we know he didn't want God to forgive him. He wanted God to destroy them. He didn't want to go because he knew that if he went and preached his message of judgment, and if the people repented, Yahweh wasn't going to judge him. He knew that going. And he didn't want to go. So he fled to Tarshish. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So we have this prophetic prophet who, who goes and preaches to the people. The people repent. The Lord forgives. Instead of him rejoicing, he gets mad. Doesn't make any sense, I know. Please understand, Jonah wants the Lord to overthrow Nineveh. He wants to see the people perish. And he's angry at Yahweh for not doing it. Exceedingly angry. Verse 4 and again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. You know this term that's been translated displeased can also mean to do evil in Hebrew. To do evil. Think about what Jonah is saying here. It means to do evil in Hebrew. He sees God's compassion to Nineveh as evil. He doesn't disagree with it. He sees it as wrong. And not just evil. He, is a, he sees it as an exceedingly evil. I mean, I know you're like, man, what's, what's wrong with Jonah? What gives him the right to, to say what God is doing is wrong? You see, the author in this book, in this one verse, he uses both the verb and the noun for evil in this one little phrase. And he wants, he uses them to show you and to emphasize Jonah's current state and frame of mind. 
want you to show just how upset Jonah is over what God has done. Now, he is furious that God did not judge the people. And he's kindled with anger. The message translation says he is furious and lost his temper. Do you see what Jonah is doing? Do you see what he is saying? You see, remember, Yahweh called Jonah to go to Nineveh to call Jonah to call the Nineveh, to call Nineveh out for their sin. Now you have Jonah actually calling the Lord out for something. Actually saying, the compassion you show these people is evil to me. I don't like it. I disagree with it. God's compassionate act is seen as evil. And in some sense, God's attribute of compassion is evil to Jonah. Jonah attacks God's action. He attacks God's character. Listen, he acknowledges the attributes, right? Gracious. You're merciful. You're bound in a steadfast love. You're relenting from disaster. But Jonah doesn't want him to show those things to the people of Nineveh. He knows God. All those things. He just doesn't want him to be that to those people. And he's frustrated and he falls into despair over it. Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Since you're not going to destroy them, destroy me then. Hopelessness, despair. And Yahweh asks the question, one question. He says to Jonah, do you really do well to be angry here? I mean, come on, Jonah. Do you have a good enough reason to be angry? What do you think? Jonah forgets that he benefits from the same attributes he doesn't want God to show other people. You see, he forgot he was at one point drowning in the ocean, you see. Floating around in the ocean with nowhere to go. He seemed to have forgotten about that. That was just a chapter before, two chapters before. And so he benefits from God being merciful and gracious. He's forgotten that, that he fled from the Lord and the Lord didn't judge him. He's forgotten about that. He's forgotten about the time when he he repented and God had compassion on him. When he said, my life was fleeting away, but yet I'll remember you in your holy hill. And he repented and God rescued and sent him the great fish. Now all of a sudden, that same gracious God, he doesn't want to be gracious to someone else. And Jonah says it's not right. He calls it evil. These pagan Gentiles, were convicted by the word. They repented of their sin. They turned to Yahweh. Jonah should rejoice, but instead he's angry. Does he have a good reason to be angry? No, he does not. His actions show that he believes their sin is more deserving of judgment than his own. His actions show that their their sin deserve more judgment than his. What about you? He deserves grace. The Ninevites, they deserve wrath. That's what his actions show. I deserve it, God. I deserve your mercy. I deserve this grace. But those people, those Ninevites, those evil Ninevites, they deserve wrath, not mercy. Not grace. You see, 
it's simply natural to think that our sin is less damnable than the sins of other people, especially those evil, bad, immoral people. We think our sins is less damnable than theirs. It's our fallen nature to think that we're more deserving of God's compassion than other people. Can I ask you a question? Who are the evil, bad people you think deserve God's wrath? You ain't got to say it out loud. Who are they? Because we ain't beneath Jonah. Who are they? Who are the people that you would actually rejoice over if they died and went to hell? Someone that's wronged you? Someone that's wronged your child? Who? Who are the people you would get angry with Jesus over if he redeems them right now? We can stop being politically correct with our heart and just admit we have those people. We have them. It leaks out on social media, on your Facebook page and all that. It comes up in your private conversation with people who think like you. None of us are beneath what Jonah is doing. And if you think you are, then you do not, you underestimate the depth of your sin. If you think you, but you're, yeah, this is beneath you as a believer. Listen, Yahweh called Jonah to be a prophetic witness to people that Jonah thought deserved hell. The same applies to you. You have to understand that, that, that the most evil person in the world is still redeemable. Do you think, do you realize that? The most evil person in the world is still redeemable. Because if they're not, then that means that God, Christ can't save everybody if he wanted to. No one's beyond the redeeming power of the cross. If it is, the cross is not powerful. Our problem is that we, we think very little of our sin. So we think Jesus saved us from this much. This much. But it was a lot more than that. We're not just prophetic witnesses to people that we like. You're not just a prophetic witness to people who look like you, to people who are going to always agree with you, to people who are always going to think like you. You're not prophetic witnesses just to people who are in the same social and economic class as you. You are to be a prophetic witness to everyone, even the people who disagree with you, from different cultures, from different classes or whatever. You are put to be a prophetic witness to them as well, even those who think politically different than you. You're supposed to be a prophetic witness of Christ to that person. Do you believe that? Watch what happens in 2016, believers. We would not be that, I guarantee you. We would not be prophetic witnesses to those who disagree with us politically. Watch. It happens every time. But do you believe it? You won't be a prophetic witness to people you think you're better than, even to people you think deserve God's wrath. You will not witness to them. It's our sin of self-righteousness, our sin of self-centeredness that blinds us to this. It deceives us into thinking that we're better than we actually are. Paul told the Romans, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. When you think more highly of yourself, of your opinions and your views and your politics and, and your view of things, your view of the church or whatever, 
You won't stay in your role lane. Jonah's role, your role, the role of the church is a prophetic witness to Christ. No one else, no other issue, but to Jesus. We are not executioners of God's wrath and his judgment. We speak about it when we share the gospel. Well, we don't sit on the judgment seat. We do not sit on the judgment seat. You got to realize the kingdom of God is not a democracy. <laughs> you do realize that, right? It's not like our country. It's not a democracy. We don't get a say in anything that he does. We don't get a voice. We don't get an opinion. We don't get a vote when it comes to God's judgment. We don't tell him who he should save and who he shouldn't save. He makes those decisions. They are above our pay grade. And as he told Moses, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Period. In a discussion. There is no daddy, but that, but that, but. Go to, go, no. There is no, no debate. Own it. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And so we are witnesses of that compassion. But we are not the gatekeepers of it. We're not the gatekeepers. I sometimes hear Christians in our country say that God is going to bring judgment on America. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that uh, phrase, that statement? But here's the truth. People are not put under God's wrath. They are born under it already. Think about that. Every person in this world, you are not put under it. You are born under it. And you have to be rescued from it in Christ. So you got to know that. The wrath will come. It ain't, it ain't putting them on it. We're already under it. And Jesus came to save us from it. That's something that we don't have, we talk, when we talk about Jesus saving us from our sins, he's saving us from God's wrath. That is coming. And so please understand that, that our country and every country is under this wrath already. And people need Jesus in order to be saved from it. For all have sinned. And all have fallen short. And if you believe in Jesus, you have saving faith in Jesus, then he has rescued you from God's wrath because God poured out his wrath on him. God will punish sin. It's either going to be through Jesus or it's going to be your own life at the end of the day when Jesus comes back. Someone would pay the price. Jesus receives God's wrath toward your sin on the cross. So you don't get what you deserve. So none of us have a leg to stand on when it comes to people getting what they deserve. None of us can say, that person got what they deserve. They got what they deserve. They got what they deserve. Where will you be if God gives you what you deserve? Our problem is that we think we deserve to go to heaven. We think we deserve favor. We think we deserve these things, but we deserve hell. Just like the people we don't like deserve hell. And if it wasn't for mercy, if it wasn't for Jesus coming, that's exactly where you would be. That's where I would be. God's kingdom 
and his church is filled with people who don't get what they deserve. That's you. That's me. The church isn't filled with well-put-together people. The church isn't filled with people who, 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 who have it all together. The church isn't filled with cookie-cutter people. It's broken people. It's sinful people. It's Ninevites. You are a Ninevite, and the church is filled with them. You are a beneficiary of God's unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And you should rejoice over it, receive it with joy, and be happy when God calls other people to experience that favor. But always. Luke 4, Luke 7 recounts the time that Jesus was ministering in this small town. In this town, he, he raised the widow son from the grave. He, he engaged some of John the Baptist's uh, disciples. And in this town, he was invited to dinner by a Pharisee named uh, Simon. This Pharisee, he said, Jesus, will you please come down with me at my table? And so Jesus goes to his house, reclines at his table. Now, outside this Pharisee's house, there's a certain woman who learns that Jesus was in town reclining at this man's table. Now she heard all the stories about Jesus, his good works, his powerful and gracious words, even about his compassion. So she made plans to, to go visit Jesus at this man's house. Now here's the thing. This woman was not on the same social level as this Pharisee. They, they, were, they were from different lifestyles, different walks of life. She was not a woman of privilege. She was not a woman from high cultural status. She was a woman of the city. Now, those of you know what that means as adults. She was a woman of the city, a sinner. But her shame and her guilt didn't stop her from, from going to meet Jesus. So she grabbed her alabaster box, her ornament, headed to the Pharisee's house. And when she got there, she stood behind Jesus' feet, behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And she began to weep his, with her tears on his feet. And she wiped them with her hair and she kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. All of this took place as Jesus reclined at the Pharisee's table. Now Simon, the Pharisee, was seeing this, watching it, what was happening. He was put off by it. He thought, he couldn't believe Jesus was letting this woman touch him. This woman who is actually beneath him. Why, why is he even engaging her? And his Pharisee says under his breath, if this man was truly a prophet, then he would know what type of woman she is. She's a sinner. A sinner. And Jesus knew what this guy was thinking. He knew what he was thinking. And Jesus asked Simon this question. He said, can I say something to you? Say it, teacher. And Jesus tells him a parable to illustrate a powerful point. Jesus said, a certain money leader has two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you answered, you judge rightly. Jesus turned toward the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with tears and has wiped them with her hair. You, she gave me, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she had stopped ceasing from kissing my feet. You have not anointed my hair with oil, but she has anointed 
my feet with ornaments. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, because she's been forgiven of much. But he who is forgiven of little, loves little. Have you been forgiven of little? And if you love people little, less. You think that way. If you love Jesus little, yes, you think that way. That's Jonah's issue. He's been forgiven of little sin. And if all Jesus has forgiven you of is little sin, then you're going to love him little. You've got to understand that you are the person that is less worthy of God's grace. It's you. You're one of those people. You're one of those people. You're one of them. And your sin, our sin, is not little sin. If it was just little sin, you think Jesus would have to come? Would have to come for little sin? No. He came because we were jacked up. That's why he came. You have to see that God showed you compassion in the decision. That was the decision, the greatest decision. And that was when Christ came. And so you benefit from that decision. And you should want other people to have that same benefit. And you should want to share it with them the gospel with your neighbor, even with your enemy. If you've been forgiven a little, you will love a little. But if you've forgiven a much, and you see the weight of your sin, and you see it, you see that without Jesus, that, that you too are under that same wrath as, as those who don't know him, you can't but share it. Give them the hope and the peace that only Christ can give. We have the church, the believers. We have a message that can change lives. We have a message that can do what government policies can't do. That's change hearts. But will we share it? Will you share it? That's always the question. But you've got to believe it first. Let us pray. Father God, I do thank you for the decision that Christ made. The decision to come and be born in the flesh of man. To live a life I couldn't live, to die a death that I deserve to die. Thank you for the decision that through him we are saved from our sin and we are saved from your wrath, Father, because you poured it out upon him. And Father, as your people, as, as just one local body of your people, I pray that in us, Lord, you will, that you will create a passion and a heart of compassion for people who don't know you. That we will see them as people in need of Jesus, not people deserving wrath and judgment. Because we realize we too used to be those people. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. And I pray this prayer for myself for the officers and, and elders and deacons and all the members, that we would give us a heart for evangelism, a heart to, to be prophetic witnesses to Jesus, even to people who are different than us, Lord. But you would do that, Lord. Build that in us for your own glory.
Christ's name I pray. Amen.